When I was at Louisiana State University several years ago, there was this alley called Free Speech Alley. And on Free Speech Alley, you could say or do, as long as it was legal, anything you wanted to do. So people would, would get up and talk about anything and yell anything. And there was this one guy that stood on a milk carton, and he yelled at people as they went by. Not just anything, because he thought he was there representing God. So he would yell at people as they went by that they were going to hell because of maybe the girl's shorts were too short or the top was too low. Something would cause him to think, well, this person is condemned for all eternity in the name of God, and he would condemn them to hell. Somebody comes by with a cigarette in their mouth. He would yell, you're going to hell. He would call people just terrible names and just, in his mind, portray the heart of God to people. What does that say about people who believe that portrays the heart of God just by condemning other people to hell? Did Jesus do that? When you open up the Bible and you start to to read the teachings of Jesus, did he go around pointing at lifestyles, whatever they might be, and say, oh, you're going to hell, you're going to hell, you're going to hell. You can read through your New Testament over and over and you won't find that. But how does that portray God to a, to a world that's largely unbelieving when somebody's standing on a milk carton believing they are representing God saying, you are on your way to hell. And you know, all those years watching that guy stand on the milk carton and yell at people, I never saw anyone respond in a positive way. I never saw anybody go, oh man, I need to put down the cigarette. I need to wear longer shorts. I need to live there. He was right. I never remember anybody. I remember people throwing rocks at him. I I remember people hitting or spitting or doing something they shouldn't have been doing, just doing something, saying terrible things to him. But I don't remember anybody turning because of what he said. We're in the last week of a series called Things I Wish Jesus Never Said. Jesus said some pretty controversial things, and when we were putting this series together, we were thinking about several of the things that Jesus said, and we picked out six and thought, let's explore what Jesus really meant when he said this, because if you just take it at face value out of context, these things look scary. These things look difficult. These aren't the things that give us the warm fuzzies. These are the things that like, wow, I got to do something, or, or, or something's not right, or maybe they're the things that you've apologized for Jesus saying. They're all found in one of the first four books of the New Testament. There's some Bibles coming down the aisles and going up the aisles right now. Every week at LifePoint, we give anybody who needs or wants a Bible, if you forgot yours, take one. We give those away because we believe that the words in there can lead you to the knowledge of what it means to have a relationship with God. It can also lead you to a knowledge of how much God loves you. So if you don't have a Bible, take one. Read along uh, today, or you can also look on the screen. Recently, a group of churchgoers were asked a simple question. If you could ask God anything, what would you ask? What would it be? And if somebody asked me that question, well, it would take me a while. So they gave him some choices. And, and the number one thing that people wanted to know in regard to, it was anything about the Bible, in regard to what God had said, Jesus had said, anything they could say, God, what did this mean? When you said this, here was the statement they wanted explained. Number one, in John 14, verse 6, 
Because it appears here that Jesus is claiming exclusive rights to God. So people are thinking, what does that mean? When Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, I know why that would be a very popular question. It is so because we live in a very pluralistic world. We live in a world that's exposed to all kinds of different ways of viewing the world and viewing humanity. And wouldn't it have been so much easier if Jesus hadn't said that? If he hadn't said he was the only way, if he would have just said, you know, it's all good. You can just choose whatever way you want. It's all going to bring you back around to the same place. If Jesus hadn't said this statement, there wouldn't have to be talk of heaven and hell. And who's right and who's wrong and who's going and who's not. Just, hey, it's all good. We're all going. Just choose a path. Stay on it. Don't hurt anybody. And everything's going to be okay. But Jesus said this. And for many people, it complicates things. But this is not a statement for which people who follow Christ need to apologize for. We need to understand maybe a little more deeply what Jesus was talking about when he said, I'm the way, there is no other way besides me. Was he just being judgmental? Was he setting Christianity up as the exclusive way to follow God and there is no other way to please him or no other way to follow him? Was Jesus being arrogant and sort of standing on his milk carton saying, you are going to hell unless something happens? The first part of that verse, when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That doesn't seem to bother anybody much. Yeah, Jesus believed he was the way, truth, and the life. But here's what begins to ruffle feathers on the world stage. When Jesus said, no one comes to the Father but by me. Why why is that so offensive to to Larry King? You know, if you ever watch when, when he's interviewing somebody. Why is that such an offensive thing when Jesus said, I'm it? I'm the way. I think it's because we live in a world that's so full of this thing called tolerance. From a very young age, our children are taught tolerance, tolerance. The only thing they're taught not to tolerate is intolerance. I'll stop. But wouldn't you like to know that everybody's going to make it? Wouldn't you like to know that, you know, in the end, it's just going to work out for everybody, no matter what path they choose. I don't want to see anybody separated from an all-loving God that created them, came to earth, gave his life for them. I don't want to see anybody separated for all eternity from that. I mean, I want want everybody to go. From what I read, there's going to be plenty of room, so why can't all of us go? Why does anybody have to stay behind and be separated? But this statement by Jesus kind of draws a line in the sand when you just read that, those two sentences. And it draws a line in the sand and it brings up a lot of other questions. Like, what about people who never hear the name of Christ? Because there are people who will be born, live, and die and never hear his name one time. What's going to happen to those people? They didn't know anything about Jesus, so how would they get to God? What about somebody who sincerely believes in what they're doing, and yet they don't do it in the name of Christ, and they live a good life. What what about those people? Does it really matter what you believe? Or more importantly, did Jesus think that it really mattered what we believe? You know, two-thirds of the world is not Christian. 
Two-thirds of the world, they're something else. They're Buddhist, they're Muslim, they're Hindu, they're, they're, they're nothing. They're, they're something else besides saying, I follow Christ. Is this statement, this hard statement by, by Jesus, which, what, the statement that excludes everybody else except those that follow him, is this a judgmental statement? Is it about heaven and hell? Or could it be that this statement is about something completely different? Unfortunately, when many people who call themselves Christian hear this statement, almost in a, in a happy way can say, well, everybody else is going to hell. And Christians can be some of the most uncaring, judgmental people on the face of the earth and use this verse standing on their own milk carton saying, I'm right, you're wrong, the rest of the world is out of here, and almost seem happy about it. I have seen people say that and smile at the same time. How is that a good thing when somebody doesn't get to spend eternity with God? How can that be good? How can that be something that anybody would be happy about? Nevertheless, the statement by Jesus brings up a lot of questions. Aren't all religions just different paths to the same God? That's what Oprah says. I mean, listen to her show. I mean, she wants everybody to believe that and buy her book on the way and, you know, and, and make her more rich. But that's what she wants everybody to believe. It's all one big path and we're all in this one big thing. And, and you just reach down deep inside and, and pull it out. And whatever that is, that's God. The problem is, have you ever been wrong about anything? Ever? I have. So is it possible that could be wrong to look deep inside and whatever you just feel, if that's your path to God? Because he is inside you and that's where you go to find him. Well, I've, you know, I've, I've believed things that are wrong before. I've made decisions that are wrong before. So how in the world about something this important could I just say, well, you know, I feel it inside and, and I mean, do all religions just lead back to the same place? Or does God care more about people than I do? Because I want everybody to go. It's going to be a big place, so let's all go. Let's all you know, spend eternity together with God, the being that created us, that loves us all. Let's just all go. Leave this place behind. We don't have to worry about any of the stuff we worry about anymore. No, no news to watch, none of that kind of stuff. Let's just go on together. That's what I would like to see happen. And most people feel like that too. Have you ever watched Deal or No Deal? Man, that show stresses me. I sweat when I watch that show. Because every time there's a trucker from New Jersey that's there about to win, you know, three or $400,000, but he just is going for that one more suitcase and he's opening it up. And I'm like, there's $10 in there. Don't do it. And, and they walk away with 300 bucks. It's like, oh, I want everybody on that show to win. I would like to, wouldn't stay on long if everybody started winning a million dollars. Then that would get interesting. Like, wow, she won, he won. I mean, wouldn't it be nice? If everybody won that show, wouldn't it be nice if no matter what path you chose, you ended up in the same place and they all led to the same end? When you open up other views of God and religion and deity and humanity, when you start to compare those, you find they're not the same at all. They can't be all the same that lead to all the all the same thing that leads to all different things that lead to the same end it's not whatever here's some differences in the paths orthodox judaism has 613 commands to obey gee me i can't get 10 down i mean 613 Whew. islam 
has the five pillars, while that's less, you have to obey them perfectly throughout your entire life if you have any hope of going to heaven. In Buddhism, the ultimate goal is nirvana. Just finding... There's another one. Last week... Whose phone is that? Y'all playing joke on me back there? Whose phone is this? Oh, I won't answer it then. That's Fred's, our drummer. If it rings again, I'm going to answer it. All right. Where was I? Buddhism, thank you. Last week it was, uh, last week it was uh, somebody's uh, island tunes. Fred, you have two voicemail and your phone is broken. So let me, let me turn this off. Let's see. Oh, there you go. Hey. All right, <laughs> Buddhism. Oh man, this is a movie starting. We got to hurry. Um, Hinduism. Hinduism's work your way to heaven by becoming one with Brahma, this all-prevailing force in the universe. See, world religions and some even Christian denominations fall into two basic categories. They're either legalistic or they're fatalistic. A legalistic religion says that God is distant and, and He's hard to reach, so because God is way out there and He's the rule giver, your ability to obey the rules is what gets you closer to God. That's what legalism says. And if you're ever going to be acceptable to God, you've got to be right. And so your ability to be right makes you right before God. If you study other faiths, you'll find that, a legalistic religion. A kind of religion that says you've got to work and perform to succeed spiritually to get to God. Then there's a fatalistic religion, which really says you have no control over your destiny. The book's already been written. Page has been turned shut. It's all done. God's got it all predetermined what's going to happen. And there's really nothing you can do to change it. You might have some freedom here and there, but pretty much a fatalistic religion says it's all been done. How many of you guys have this spiritual gift of being able to watch like seven TV shows at one time? Anybody besides me? I can do it. I can, my wife doesn't believe it, but I can watch and pay attention and get something out of seven shows at one time. Anybody else's husband able to do that? My wife would say, well, mine thinks he can. If we're all sitting in the TV room and we're watching television and I go clicking through the channels, there's two shows if they come on, they're like, all right, let's go do something else because he's not going to change it. That's Rocky, any, anyone except for maybe number three, but the rest of them. The rest of them, I watch them from beginning to end, or vacation. Those two, I, I just have to watch them. And I watch them, even though I know what the end is going to be, it's all determined. I mean, these movies were years ago, the script's been written, they've played their part, and now it's been committed to film. I watch it as if Rocky's going to win the first time. I mean, like, I'm on the edge of the couch. Come on! This time, do left, not right, you can knock him out. Or, or just hoping that Clark Griswold gets to the West Coast, and Wally World is open. and doesn't have to go through that whole thing. But no matter how much I want or watch, the script's been written, the act has been played, it's been committed to film, and it's not going to change. A fatalistic view of God says there is nothing you can do to change it. 
God has predetermined it. This is how it's going to be. And there's no way you can change it. That's what fatalism is. So a religion that says you've got to measure up is not the same as a religion that says you have no choice in the matter and it's all predetermined. So in the worldview, all religions don't lead to the same place. The truth is they're legalistic or fatalistic or some kind of a combination of the two. But there's a third choice. A third choice that's not really religion at all. And it's called relational. In Genesis chapter 2, you can read about how God created man and woman and, and he made this creation and he loved it. And right in the middle of this beautiful garden, God places this tree and he goes to Adam and Eve and he says, look, this whole place is yours. I made it all for you. But there's this one tree that you've got to stay away from. If you don't, and you eat from that fruit, and the tree was called the the tree of knowledge of good and evil, if you eat from that tree, you'll die. And something about that tree was magnetic to Adam and Eve, like sometimes things that are not good for us, they're magnetic to us, and they were attracted to that, and they ate it, and they died. And somebody might read that and think, well, God, why in the world would you put the very thing you knew they were going to be tempted by in front of them? It's because God is a relational being, and God desires relationship with his creation. And with us, created in his own image, he knows that without a choice, there's never going to be any love. You've got to have the the, the ability to choose, or how would you know if somebody ever loved you? And God's the same way. He can't make us love him. He can create us and hope that we choose to love him. I don't know how all that works in God's mind, and if, if, if it were all understood, it wouldn't be called faith. But I know that God wants us to choose to love Him. A little bit later in the, in the Old Testament, you read about God and His chosen people, the Israelites. Here's what He says to them about choice in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11. This command I'm giving you today is not too difficult for you to understand, and it's not beyond your reach. It's not kept in heaven so distant that you must ask Who will go up to heaven and bring it down so I can hear it and obey? It's not kept beyond the sea so far away that you must ask. Who will cross the sea to bring it to us so we can hear it and obey? No, the message is very close at hand. It's on your lips and in your heart so you can obey it. Here's the message. I have set before you life and death as choices. Oh, that you would choose life. See, God was putting before his people just like he put before Adam and Eve. Here's a choice. You can choose to rebel against me or you can choose to obey me. It's your choice, but oh, that you would choose life because I love you. You're my creation and you would make the choice to love me because God knows without true choice, there can never be true love. Guys, what would have happened when you got on one knee and you looked into your wife's eyes and you said, would you marry me? And she goes, you'll do. You know, I'm 28. Nobody else has asked. You'll do. That's fine. I mean, what would you say? You would go, no, 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 no. I don't want to just do. I don't want to just like barely make the cut or be the consolation. I want you to choose me, honey. I want you to need me. I want you to not be able to live without me. I want you to, oh, that you would choose me and love me. That's what we all want to hear. That's what I heard. I hope you heard that. God wants us to choose him. 
God wants us to choose life. So maybe this statement from Jesus is not so much a statement about heaven and hell and who's going and who's not. Maybe it's a relational statement. Maybe when he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, nobody comes to the Father except by me, he's not even wanting people to think about heaven and hell. He's wanting them to think about how much he desires for them to know the depth of his love And how much he wants to be in a relationship with them, regardless of what they've done, regardless of the mistakes they've made. The entire time Jesus was on earth, his intent was to reveal the heart of God to people. One day Jesus was teaching a group of people and some religious people wondered what Jesus thought he was doing by actually hanging around sinners. People that that were undesirables in the religious people's mind. So Jesus tells a story to help everybody else understand the kind of father, the kind of God, God is. You may have heard this story before. It's called the story of the prodigal son or the lost son. And Jesus tells the story of this young man that goes to his dad, who is obviously very wealthy. And he says, Dad, I need my inheritance now. If you could just you know, go ahead and lay that money on me now, I'm going to go and, and spend it. I want to I live, man. I want to have some fun now. In that culture, that wasn't just something you'd probably get slapped in the face for like you would have in my family. That was something when you said that, you were saying, you're as good as dead to me, Dad. Go ahead and give me the money now because that's when it was due to come to him. The dad does it, gives him the money. The son goes off to another country, wastes it all on just crazy living, ends up poor, penniless, and working in the slums. And then he comes to his senses, like many of us have, and says, I got to go back. And just if dad would just let me work in his slums, at least I'd be around my dad and my family and be well fed and taken care of. So he begins this long journey home and he's running through in his head what he's going to say to his dad when he gets there. But if you read this story in the book of Luke chapter 15, it says that while the son was still a long way off, the dad saw him, which means he must have been standing there waiting on him. And when he saw him, he ran out to him, he hugged him, he kissed him, he yelled for the servants, come out here, go kill the fattest calf we got in the backyard, we're going to have a barbecue, we're going to have a big party, my son was gone, now he's home, bring him back into the family, clean him up, and let's party, because now he's here. You know, there's another story like that in another religion, in Buddhism. Buddha tells the story very, very much the same way in the beginning, there was this son, And and he asked his father for money. He wasted the money. And the difference comes when this son decides he's going to come home. So even though these stories at the beginning, and somebody might tell you these stories are the same in all these religions, but here's the difference in the story Jesus told to portray the Father in heaven and the story Buddha told. The story he told, when the son comes home, the dad doesn't run out to meet him. The dad sends servants out to kind of investigate and see what, the guy, see what the son is thinking. He does come back into the family, but he has to work for 20 years to work off all the stuff, to work off all this, to, to go through all the punishment. And for 20 years, he's got to serve before he can ever fully be restored into the family. And Jesus is trying to portray to us a God that will run to us. And there's a big difference between a God that says, you've got to pay me back. And the God that says, I will run to you. Jesus 
said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. He's not saying pick anybody else and you're dead and you're on your way to hell. He's saying there is nobody else. There is nobody else that's going to love you like I love you, that's going to receive you like I receive you. Jesus began this chapter in the book of John talking to a group of disciples who were confused, who were afraid because they had left everything to follow him. For three years they've been with him and all of a sudden Jesus starts talking about leaving. And he's talking about ascending into heaven. They don't understand what he's talking about and they begin to be troubled. And Jesus starts this entire chapter by saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. And he goes on to say, trust me, I will come back for you. Just like the dad came running to the boy when he realized he'd messed up and he came home, I'll come to you. So don't be worried that I'm leaving because I am the God that will run to you. So this statement from Jesus is not a statement about heaven and hell. It's a relational statement of where we can put our trust when we're troubled. What Jesus is really saying as he comforts these disciples is, nobody else loves you like I do. See, in Buddhism, you just keep cycling and cycling and looking to find this thing called nirvana, and you might die without finding it, and then, you know, it's just a wasted life. In Hinduism, reincarnation is actually a kind of punishment because when they see somebody poor, they're going to think, well, they must have been really bad. They must have really goofed. Or when they see somebody really well off and doing well in life, they would think, well, they must have done something really great in the previous life. Hinduism doesn't offer you a God that's coming for you. And Allah never said he was coming for anybody. You can work and work and work In the end, it's up to Allah to say you're forgiven. He won't run to you. Nobody else offers the same promise of forgiveness, of life, and of grace that Jesus Christ offers. And that's what he's trying to communicate. He's trying to communicate you can live this full life. That's why I'm here. So when Jesus said that, he's not really saying I'm the I'm the only way and anybody else is going to hell. He's not giving you bad news from his perspective. He's giving you the bad news from reality that nobody else is really coming for you. There's no other God that passionately pursues and longs to forgive the sin and the mistakes and heal us. There's no other God that says, you know, you might have messed up. You might have messed up more than once. You might have messed up ten times, but I will come for you. There's no other God that says, I'm ready here and now to accept you right where you are, no matter what you've done, and I will run down the driveway to you, and you will be fully brought into my family as if you had never, ever made a mistake. No other God offers that. And that's what Jesus is trying to say with his difficult statement. Not stand on his milk box, milk carton, and say you're all going to hell. He's trying to say to his disciples, guys, don't be troubled. I'm going to come back for you. I'm the way. I'm going to get you there. I'm going to let you feel the forgiveness and the the acceptance and the restoration. You know, as Jesus said, all of these statements that were difficult, as I found myself looking through and researching what all these statements made, found myself going, I'm glad Jesus said that. 
Because when you hear him say things like we've talked about in the last few weeks, love your enemies or sell everything you have, you think, oh, that's tough. But as you really get to behind the context and the intent of what Jesus said, it makes you realize all of those statements were about relationship. And that's what he's asking us to choose. He's saying, choose life. I will come to you no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter what mistakes you've made. I will come to you and nobody else will. You may be sitting there here today, here for the first time, or going through something in your life and you're thinking, is there any answers? Yes, there are answers. And they come through Jesus Christ because he says, I'll come to you. So I hope over these last five or six weeks, if you've, as you've been here and you've heard about these hard statements about Jesus, if you didn't hear them all, go online and listen to them because all of them are relational statements. And they're not some exclusive way of setting himself up better than everybody else. He's saying, I'm going to get in the dirt with you and I'm going to come and I'm going to find you. Many of you need to be found by Christ today and you need to leave here knowing that he'll come to you. If you want to talk more about that, come find me or go find Mark, our site pastor here at Wakefield after the service and we'd love to talk to you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for these statements that may appear hard to begin with. But in reality our statements about us having a relationship with you. God, thank you for giving us that choice. That choice. So when we do choose you, you know that we do so out of knowing that there is no other way to have a God who will come to us than going through you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.